This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Heartland's Voices of Vapor series, where we interview the movers and shakers of the vaping world, including policy experts, consumers, and advocates. And actually, uh, in a future episode, I'm going to have a congressman on. I'm pretty excited. Um, electronic cigarettes have been on the market since two, uh, 2008, 2007. Um, it was when a lawsuit kind of came in. Um, and then the, in the terms of this lawsuit, gave the FDA authority to regulate these products. 2016, FDA decided to deem these products as tobacco products. And so there's been a lot of things happening, especially uh, 2018, 2019. And since their introduction, they've been subject to numerous taxes and regulations on all levels, including local, state, and the federal level. It's unfortunate because there's numerous public health groups, such as Public Health England, Royal College of Physicians, American Cancer Society, and FDA have actually acknowledged a reduced risk of these products. There's been an estimated 10 million vapors in uh, the United States, and 30% have, um, uh, have, used, have quit smoking or have used these products to quit smoking, about 3 million people, so it's pretty impressive. But there, we still have about 39 million smokers, so it's an issue. I have a returning guest on today's episode. Uh, Guy Bentley is a research associate at the Reason Foundation, and uh, it's a nonprofit think tank that advances free, mar- uh, free minds and free markets. He's also the author of the recently published brief, A Question of Taste, The Public Health Case for E-Cigarette Flavors. His research focuses on the taxation and regulation of nicotine, tobacco, food, and gambling. He does a lot of sin taxes. Um, before joining Reason Foundation, he served as a reporter for the Daily Caller News Foundation and the London-based business and finance newspaper City AM. His work has been featured in the Washington Post, USA Today, Forbes, Time, the New York Post, and the Washington Examiner. And he's currently based in Reasons Washington, D.C. office. Thanks for coming on again, Guy. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm fantastic. Can't complain at all. So <laughs> people have already listened to it. We already have talked about how you found yourself in here. So we're just going to get into it. Um, you have this really awesome policy brief. Um, and I think it does a really good job at like explaining the case for flavors. It's called A Question of Taste, the Public Health Case for E-Cigarette Flavors. Can you kind of uh, walk our listeners through this um, policy brief, what you found, um, why is it needed? Um, and I do know that... Uh, it kind of goes after the bans, and I, uh, you mentioned in part of it that you know there's other regulations that the government can do instead of banning flavors. So, yeah, sure. Well, one of the reasons we decided to write this paper was after Scott Gottlieb announced uh, several months ago that he would be taking actions to either restrict or ban a whole host of e-cigarette flavors, e-cigarette flavors, particularly ones that are not tobacco or menthol flavored. So anything outside of those those categories. And in contemplating this, we were saying, why is there um, so much uh, fear and scaremongering around e-cigarette flavors, particularly around the issue of youth use? Because um, data recently published by CDC shows uh, quite a sharp uptick in youth e-cigarette use in kids using e-cigarettes in the past 30 days and an increase uh, in the number of kids who are using on 20 or more days, um, what we call uh, frequent users. And e-cigarette flavors are often blamed uh, as the principal driver behind this increase in youth use. The argument from many of the tobacco control community and from FDA is that all these the flavors um, such as fruit flavors, candy flavors, dessert flavors are enticing kids who would never otherwise use uh, an e-cigarette or any other kind of tobacco product um, to, start u- to start using these products. And we're particularly concerned given that um, the vast majority of the e-cigarette market, market is made up of flavors yeah. and adults who are using e-cigarettes to switch away from regular cigarettes overwhelmingly opt for flavors. So there's clearly a problem if FDA clamps down very hard on the flavor category in e-cigarettes or any other reduced risk product, that a lot of adults who find these flavors helpful in switching away from real cigarettes will no longer have access to these flavors and it might impede their ability to quit smoking. So that's why we decided to write this brief and go through some of the claims and evidence that were made 
uh, in trying to support the argument that flavors are uh, enticing uh, kids to use e-cigarettes and or that they're not particularly helpful for adults to quit. And what we find is that, well, it's certainly true that flavors can play a role in the decision of some youth to start using e-cigarettes. What we find is that it's actually really one of many factors and really often the case it's not even the leading factor um, what we find even in many of the studies published that uh, claim to show that e-cigarettes are a major factor in youth um, decisions to start vaping is that um, things like curiosity peer influence and so on are often much bigger roles or equal roles in terms in terms of uh, um, kids decision to start uh, to start vaping and we also find that a lot of vaping is really restricted to kids who have used another kind of tobacco product, such as a cigarette or smokeless tobacco or something like, uh, something like that. The number of kids who are using e-cigarettes who have never used any kind of tobacco product um, so far has been um, extremely low. Um, that uh, percentage has increased in the past year. There's been a um, quite an uptick in the past year, and we can go into the, the reasons of wh why that might be. But just to give listeners um, an example of, you know, uh, many, many, one of the many studies cited in support of the idea that flavors uh, are particularly important to teens' decision of, uh, to smoke. There was a study published uh, a few years ago in uh, 2016 uh, trying to examine um, adolescents' interest in trying a flavored e-cigarette. And what they did is they compared, say, um, they asked uh, a number of uh, high school students and kids um, if they would be interested in trying an e-cigarette if it was flavored like tobacco or alcohol, the sort of so-called adult flavors, and if they would be interested in trying candy, fruit, dessert, so the so-called kid flavors. And Sure enough, what they found is that there was greater interest in the so-called kid flavors than the adult flavors. Mm -hmm. um, but what wasn't highlighted in the study uh, is that of teens who had never used an e-cigarette, only 1.7% expressed an interest in trying them, in trying wow. these so-called kid flavors. And of those who had never smoked cigarettes, the number was 3.3%. So what we find is there's actually remarkably little interest in these products from kids who have uh, never smoked or aren't currently using e-cigarettes, regardless of the kinds of flavors they're offering. And so what, what we see is that flavors are not often a driver of kids vaping. What they are is the kids who vape use flavors. And uh, another piece of evidence that, that is often cited is uh, uh, survey data showing that um, when kids are asked uh, why they use these cigarettes, they're given a predetermined battery of questions and they can say yes to a number of statements. And uh, I think a, a large majority, so, uh, I think it was somewhere 60 or maybe 70 percent said um, because it comes in flavors that I like now. Initially, you might think, oh, well, that's, you know, clearly, um, uh, clearly indicative of flavors being uh, uh, either an incentive to kids to try vaping or an attractive part of vaping. But if you think about it uh, from from the other side, as uh, Clive Bates, who's a um, leading tobacco control researcher and um, a fellow at the R Street Institute pointed out, if you flip that question on its head, who would uh, answer yes to the question, um, I use these uh, products because I don't like the flavors? It's, it's, it's logically quite incoherent. Yeah. So it, it is true that among kids who vape, the most popular um, category are flavored e-cigarettes. That, that is not indicative of saying flavors are the reason they are using e-cigarettes. And also, it's very misleading for people to say these are kid-appealing flavors or are just intended to target or appeal to youth. Because what we also find is, uh, amongst really all of the published um, research in the last few years, is that flavors are overwhelmingly the choice of adult yeah. uh, vapors, both those who are dual users and those who have quit smoking entirely. Um, fruit, dessert, um, pastry, and beverage flavors 
are overwhelmingly the choice of those who have switched away from cigarettes. So it's it's definitely not true to say that these are just kid, kid appealing. Um, and it used to be several years ago that what we saw in the patterns of use was that smokers switching to vaping, they would start off with a tobacco flavor or a menthol flavor, trying to mimic some of that taste that they had when they were smoking. And then they would transition to, to different kinds of flavors, try lots of different kinds of flavors, and really sort of lose their taste for that sort of tobacco flavor. But now what we've actually seen in the past few years is that the majority of those who make that initial switch are switching with flavored products. So the majority aren't even switching to tobacco-flavored vapor products. They're switching to flavored vapor products. So FDA or state and local governments trying to crack down on these things, they're cracking down on the most popular part of the e-cigarette market, which is i.e. the most popular part of the tobacco harm reduction uh, market. So it is, it's really tackling the key part of the industry and the market, which is helping smokers quit. Yep, exactly. Well, and that kind of leads into this next one. So I know we are seeing, um, I've seen flavor bans proposed in California, New Mexico, New Jersey, and New York. You also have, we have a, uh, I know there's a federal one um, with our good old uh, Dick Durbin, senator from the wonderful state of Illinois. Um, where do you think these are going to go? Um, I mean, oh, on, oh, wait, you also have a bunch of localities. San Francisco was the first one to ban um, flavored products, including menthol cigarettes. And then you've seen this um, legislation go kind of trickle all up and down California. Um, what, do you, what, what do you think the implications are going to be of these? Um, how, are st- what I, how are states going to really enforce this? Um, so, you know, we were talking earlier about doing, you know, how you can go online. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think on the on the on the federal level, um, you know, Congress seems pretty incapable of doing much of anything on most public policy areas. So one can only hope that they'd be incapable of doing something on this. Uh, Unfortunately, that it does happen that even with uh, a divided Congress, um, politicians of both parties are perfectly capable of working in bipartisan ways to pass very bad laws or support very bad policies. Both parties can find it very easy uh, to agree on spending lots of more money on, you know, very, very silly government projects and so on. And they can also cooperate to do positive things. We saw the First Step Act and um, as a small measure to improve the criminal justice system was passed on a bipartisan basis. So, Uh, While I'm hopeful that nothing will happen on the federal level at this point, particularly as FDA is very skeptical at the moment about these flavors and is really monitoring youth use numbers extremely closely, um, that an an action of that magnitude on the federal level uh, might be jumping the gun a bit, even for um, many members of Congress who may want to wait and see continue to wait and see how this plays out. I think the unfortunate thing is that at the federal level, something like uh, an e-cigarette flavor ban is, um, it's almost, it's a sort of perfect example of virtue signaling legislation. Uh, You'll, you know, it's, uh, everyone can, you know, on the basis of bad evidence or bad arguments, whip up a moral panic about uh, fears over youth use and so on. And they can also simultaneously claim that they're not banning the entire category. They're just banning the so-called kid options, um, which, as we discussed, are not the kid options. But they say, well, uh, and I've heard uh, Senator Durbin in person say this himself, you know, um, you know, wider, wider adults need these flavors. You know, know, clearly no grown, grown up, self-respecting adults would use, uh, you know, uh, any other non-tobacco or non-mental flavor, which just displays his, his ignorance of um, of the entire tobacco harm reduction space. So whilst I'm hopeful that nothing uh, that severe or drastic will happen on the federal level, I wouldn't entirely discount the possibility of um, uh, a coalition of, um, of bad actors on uh, with honorable exceptions um, on both sides trying to pass something to... So they can all pat themselves on the back and, and claim to be protecting America's youth when what they'll really be doing is limiting options for adult smokers to switch yeah. away from the most harmful consumer product on the market. Um, 
on the state level, um, it's, I think, uh, a much tougher fight. I think, in, you know, especially in a state like California, um, which is uh, renowned for um, interfering lifestyle uh, and nanny state uh, regulations and measures that um, it's it'll be a, a tough slog to beat back a, a flavor ban in somewhere like California, especially as because many of these um, flavor ban bills, they don't just refer to e-cigarettes or tobacco harm reduction products. They refer to all tobacco products. Okay. So trying to get rid of menthol cigarettes or, or um, different kinds of flavored cigars and so on. Um, so it's very difficult to make the coherent case to legislators because often this legislation has been written in a way to include all tobacco products and treating them all exactly the same and not proportionate to the risk they pose to public health, which is really bad policymaking because yeah. a good policy, if you, if you want to ban a dangerous flavored tobacco product, I would, I would, uh, I would be against that as, uh, as well. I don't think it's wise for politicians to be uh, banning these products. But they should, be, they should be making that argument. And then if they want to do something about e-cigarette flavors, that should be a separate argument. It's, it's not logical or rational to put um, a product like, say, a menthol cigarette uh, on the same level as a mango-flavored fl- yeah. e-cigarette. Yeah. That, that just makes no sense. So the legislation is clumsily um, and, and uh, poorly considered, which uh, makes it... Um, uh, quite difficult to disentangle the issues there. But hopefully there, there is scope to make the tobacco harm reduction arguments. Uh, in terms of how enforceable these laws will be, I mean, you, you, you put your finger on it. I mean, they're utterly unenforceable. If somebody wants to get um, uh, their preferred e-liquid flavor, it would be incredibly easy for them uh, to get it online, for people to um, maybe not they can manufacture their own, although it's incredibly cumbersome. So, I think uh, most people would f- most people would find it much easier uh, to buy uh, flavored e-liquid online. Um, but you know, the r- real main harm of this is is to the consumer. I mean, there's smokers uh, differ widely in their preferences when they're trying to switch away from cigarettes. And what works for one person doesn't work for another person. Yep. And so that's the, the real damage here. Any, anything that makes it harder, that puts a sort of roadblock or a speed bump in the way of somebody trying to quit smoking, who's um, failed to quit smoking by any other method, nicotine replacement therapy, cold turkey or whatever, um, it's really crucial that they have the options to experiment and find something that works for them. Yep. So the more inconvenient, the more expensive you make it, it's just it, it's it's just keeping people smoking for longer who may not otherwise be smoking, and that's that's the real damage and that's the real cost of these regulations and bans. Exactly. Now, and so like I know FDA is like a, has been flirting with the idea of like restricting these two. Um, age verified stores. I know Juul pulled out all of their um, non mint and tobacco flavored pods out of um, every store, actually, not even just vape shops. They pulled them out of convenience stores and vape shops. Um, that's a really bad move, correct? I mean, it's going to restrict so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's already bad enough, I think, when you walk into a vape shop that they can't tell you that these are less harmful for you, you know? Um, but when you start, a lot of people aren't going into vape shops, so I just feel that that move is just going to, what you said or what you mentioned, it's just gonna it's going to harm the millions of smokers out there that are going to have access to this product. Uh, I think that's entirely right. Not... Not absolutely everywhere in the country has a vape shop nearby where they can go and get this. Um, not everywhere, um, you know, has, you know, uh, perfect delivery where things can come on time or uh, is able to, um, you know, uh, as easily access or be exposed to these products. I mean, if you think about uh, the behavior of most smokers who buy their cigarettes at a convenience store, the best thing, uh, the best policy is to have the much less harmful product right up there with the most dangerous product. So somebody sees it on a regular basis, they can consider it, they can make a decision in the store, buy either you know um, uh, a Juul or a different kind of e-cigarette, uh, buy a few pods or whatever. It's, it's really important that those products are there. And because of this um, 
uh, crazed knee-jerk reaction to one year's worth of data in an uptick in youth use, we have a a really bizarre situation where um, it's okay to have a Marlboro Reds in a 7-Eleven, but not a mango-flavored jewel pod, even though one is, uh, has a strong chance of killing you and the other does not at all. I mean, you know, in no, I mean, you, the sort of bureaucratic, uh, you know, malaise that you, you have to go through to come up with that kind of bizarre policy is quite extraordinary that, that um, a product that is 95%, 99% less harmful than cigarettes needs to be exiled either online or relegated just to vape stores is totally counterintuitive to any sensible public health policy. And it's, it, it really shows that FDA has been put in a sort of panic over um, this data on youth use and a, and a huge uh, negative media storm um, that's been happening over these products, pushed by groups who are just militantly opposed to vaping yep. on, on, you know, for various reasons. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It's, it, it's bizarre that you would have a policy exiling tobacco harm reduction products to specific locations that not everyone has, has easy access to or just to online, while cigarettes can be bought and sold just as easily as before. Yep. Yeah, well, they can't. Well, they, in their rules, they can't really restrict any access to that. So that's what they're doing, like per the 2009 Tobacco Control Act. Now, um, I think you brought, you brought a good point up, and I know with this, um, I know that I saw a piece of legislation that's coming out of Nebraska this year. This um, that they would actually the vaping age would be 21, and the smoking age would be 18. And it's almost like it's almost like these cases are, are these these. This legislation and this fear mongering is—it's almost like it benefits the tobacco companies. Is there a reason why? I mean, I know I've dug into some of this stuff. Like California has bonded out their tobacco bonds. Uh, are they, yeah, they've you know they so they need future smokers in order to meet their debt um, you know obligations. I know New York has investment. Their pension has investments in um, Altria, Reynolds, uh, British American Tobacco. Is there? I mean, are states? Is it? Is it just protectionist, protectionist policies for, um, you know, the, the tobacco, co- you know, the, for their government coffers? Um, there may be a bit of that. To be honest, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical of that argument. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because I, I, well, it, it's, it sort of makes sense in a sort of follow the money way. I, I don't think states are are actively um, going after e-cigarettes in order to increase the, uh, in order to make them relatively less attractive than cigarettes for financial reasons. Otherwise, states wouldn't, um, wouldn't be pushing in the first place um, laws like Tobacco 21 or, or flavor bans that include, include um, menthol cigarettes, which is, um, uh, for instance, a, a huge part of, um, of Reynolds' um, financial portfolio. Um, so I, I don't think it's so much trying to prop up state coffers in, in, in being that cynical. I mean, if it was, it would be absolutely outrageous. But I, I really do think it is, it is a sort of moral panic that is, that's really sweeping many parts of the country. And I think, and I think it's more a, a reaction to that and um, an instinct that you see so often on the part of legislators on, you know, something must be done, this is something, therefore it must be done. Um, I think it is more that knee-jerk attitude um, to all, all this fear-mongering and, and very um, uh, poorly conducted uh, research and political campaigns from groups like Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids and so on that is pushing legislators in that, in that direction. Uh, sometimes this may have the the consequence that e-cigarettes uh, then they have less of an advantage that they currently do over traditional cigarettes. But I'm I'm not sure whether state legislators are, are particularly pursuing it in order to keep the smoking population um, uh, increasingly high. Um, so I mean, for instance, uh, then you know certain kinds of uh, punitive tobacco taxes wouldn't uh, wouldn't pass so often. If you wanted to maximise revenue from tobacco taxes, 
um, in many places, you wouldn't raise them any further because on the sort of uh, Laffer curve of uh, tobacco consumption, for instance, New York uh, is is losing lots of money thanks to its uh, incredibly high tobacco taxes and uh, many, many states um, uh, smuggling cigarettes into New York, particularly New York City. Yep. So if New York wanted to maximize its revenue, there'd be a good case for it cutting its tobacco taxes. So I'm I'm not sure whether it's just a, a blind commitment to pursuing to pursuing revenue, uh, although you know we, we we don't know perfectly could be on the on the part of some, but I I really do think it's more of a it's more of a moral panic than a than a financial consideration. Okay, yeah, that does make sense. And, and, and the near knee jerk, and oh, we have to do something about it. Um, I think the biggest source of uh, uh, disinformation at this point right now is the media. You know, you turn. I saw a story last week about um, a a kid who got addicted to a, a jewel and went and spent forty five days in rehab. Um, but they didn't. I mean, it was a terrible story because they, they all they talk about is the jewel, and it's like. Did he do anything else? I mean, we're like, really? Okay. Like, you know, and also there's the question, like, like, there's this question of why does the government need to be protecting these kids? Where are the parents at? Do you have any thoughts on that one? I mean, the whole Well, exactly, Lindsay. And I, and I saw that same story, too. And I, I, I mean, I, I thought it was quite frankly laughable. I mean, the <laughs> idea that a, that a kid needs to go into rehab for 45 days because he's been using his jewel too much. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I smoked for about, you know, 15 years and I didn't need to go into rehab when I quit smoking, yeah. uh, switched to an e-cigarette and a vape and so on. But, you know, adult smokers do not need to go for, to a rehab facility um, when, when, they, when they quit cigarettes. This is not, I mean, you know, I mean, we're talking about, you know, equating, you know, uh, some nicotine use with, with, with being an alcoholic or a heroin addict. I mean, I mean, it's, it's really getting out of control now. I mean, and it is true that the, the, the media has been an enormous problem yes. uh, in this. I thought, I thought um, Sheila Kaplan from the New York Times, um, I heard her on a radio show recently and um, was asked about um, uh, the United Kingdom, where it's probably painfully obvious uh, that I'm from, and uh, the very different uh, stance the UK takes towards vaping, where it totally embraces tobacco harm reduction. Um, the UK has decided they're not going to ban flavors at all. And in a um, uh, report uh, from the House of Commons Science and Technology Committee, they said there's no evidence flavors are um, enticing lots of kids to start vaping and then go on to smoking, you know, radically different attitude and government policy with Public Health England and the National Health Service and Cancer Research UK promoting e-cigarettes left, right and centre. And she said um, in response to this point that she was recently at the um, uh, uh, World Health Organization's Big Tobacco Conference and that, well, many other nations think the UK has taken a wrong turn and uh, that they're going to be proved uh, wrong on this in the end. Um, wow. And and kept on hedging uh, every you know pretty much scientifically Im- impeachable claim that's been made about e-cigarettes about their relative safety and so on. And this is not the the, the uh, attitude of of an impartial journalist who is just reporting. This is the attitude of somebody who is um, who clearly has a position who thinks these these things are a sort of big tobacco conspiracy. Um, and and should be and regulators should come on them come down on them like a ton of bricks. Um, so wow. it, it, it's incredibly disappointing. You do see the odd favorable story here and there, yeah. uh, which uh, which is which is nice. But it's it's the volume, the huge volume of all this stuff, because you know it, it, there's um, there's uh, clicks to be had and money to be made in in whipping up a moral panic against one. Uh, very unpopular industry and two um crucially a, a very unpopular group of people um yeah. smokers uh smoking rates thankfully have, have dropped substantially but smokers are almost like second second class citizens in this country nobody no, i mean nobody really cares Every, you know it seems to be that you know the more they can be taxed and bullied and harassed um uh, a lot of people think well that's good um yeah. serve them right and um and tobacco harm reduction, um, meeting people where they are, is seen as this sort of, 
you know, wacky, weak idea. People should just quit cold turkey, and if they and uh, and if they don't do that, you know, they they deserve what's coming to them. Um, which is which is, in my view, a, a really horrendous attitude to take towards um, towards people's health. And in terms of yeah, in terms of uh, parents and schools and educators dealing with the youth problem, absolutely. I mean, we do not um, talk about uh, banning. Uh, alcohol um and uh, california recently you know legalized marijuana um which I, th- I think was a great idea and we don't think about um prohibiting marijuana in california because a lot of kids use it yeah. um in, in sort of every other product category we recognize it's the adults who should be making the consumption decisions for children not children yeah. <laughs> making the decisions for adults And it's in this one area where we seem to be regressing in areas like marijuana and even in alcohol policy. Lots of states are trying to liberalize their alcohol laws because they've been way too restrictive in the aftermath of prohibition. So we're increasingly progressive on those areas. But all of those ideas and just common sense goes out of the window the minute we're talking about e-cigarettes. So it's it's a real strange disjuncture we have. Youth use is a problem. People, you know, young people um, should not be vaping or smoking. They should also not be drinking alcohol. They should also not be using marijuana. The, the answer to kids using these products is not to ban them for adults, yep. especially because e-cigarettes, unlike um, alcohol, for instance, are products that are saving you from a much more dangerous product. Uh, um, you know, alcohol is a is um, is, uh, recreationally and good for that. And and there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But e-cigarettes have a clear public health benefit. So it's it's even worse than initially treating adults like children or, um, you know, looking at uh, youth use patterns. And then if it's up one year, then we've got to, you know, ban a whole category of products for adults. You're actually inflicting harm um, not just on um, adults as, say, social lives or uh, recreational lives, as it would be with alcohol, you're actually inflicting harm on their health. Yeah. Looking to show off how much you care about freedom? Need a gift for someone? Head to the Heartland Institute store at store.heartland.org for T-shirts, posters, and books all advancing the freedoms you cherish. Grab a bumper sticker and show the world you believe in liberty. Find Heartland books such as Why Scientists Disagree About Global Warming, Power to the People, Nothing to Fear, and The Kid-Friendly Constitution. Grab a Heroes of Freedom t-shirt featuring Ayn Rand, Milton Friedman, Friedrich Hayek, and Martin Luther King Jr. Or get one of our always popular Don't Tread on Me shirts with Heartland's unique design. Those will be sure to start a conversation at your next barbecue or at the gym. Your destination for the freedom lovers in your life is the Heartland Store. Go to store.heartland.org and get shopping today. Well, and, okay, so I know one of the uh, one of the arguments is being used too, and it's really bad because at least from what I'm looking at is that kids are going to use e-cigarettes, they're going to get addicted to nicotine, and then they're going to get addicted to cigarettes. What has your research shown on that, and why every time we see an article about that, nobody mentions that youth smoking cigarettes is at an all-time low, and it probably is in a little bit part due to e-cigarettes. Um, that is youth using combustible cigarettes versus e-cigarettes. So um, why, do you, why, why is there this just active fear-mongering campaign that has really like zero evidence that this is the case? Yeah, it is. It is probably one of the most often claimed sort of, you know, anti-vaping scare stories that this is somehow a, a gateway to smoking. And there's about as much evidence for that as there was around the, the you know, the scare stories about uh, the gateway from marijuana to, to harder drugs, which was complete nonsense and is widely now recognized to be nonsense, even from the New York Times and other allegedly august bodies. Um, and we, and it's, it's totally true, as you say, um, since 2011, since the CDC, CDC started uh, measuring e-cigarette youth use, uh, e-cigarette use has gone up. Um, it dropped in, uh, I believe, 2015 by about 30%. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it was either 2015 or 2016. And, uh, and now it's, it's uh, gone up again. 
so we've had vaping go up and we've had it go down. Uh, we've also had it been stable for, I believe, a, uh, a year. And what in each of those scenarios, we see youth smoking going down. And that's at the population uh, level. So it's, it's, it's not, that's not definitive uh, because you're looking at the population level. So you cannot say for certain, oh, there has never been uh, a kid who's tried an, uh, an e-cigarette who's then gone on to smoking or that a kid who wouldn't have smoked um, used an e-cigarette and then went on to smoke. I'm sure those, those cases exist. It would, be, it, it, it would be ridiculous to say that has never happened. Um, but amongst uh, the whole youth population, you're absolutely right. We do not see a, a mass increase of smoking. And, we, and we, with the sort of numbers um, of uh, young people who have tried e-cigarettes over the past you know, many years now, we really should be seeing if it was a very strong gateway drug, uh, as some as some people have claimed, um, then you should start seeing some of that filtering through to the population uh, level data. And we just don't see that. Yep. And also what a lot of these studies looking at the gateway from vaping to smoking, well, then they're not really showing a, a causative gateway. What a lot of these studies are showing is that there's an association between kids who vape and, and, and um, who, then, who then later smoke. And actually, this should be totally unsurprising. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of kids um, who, uh, you, say, start using e-cigarettes are all the kind of kids who, uh, you know, are willing to take risks, are experimental, um, a uh, bit more rebellious, and the kinds of, and and the kinds of kids who yeah will experiment with e-cigarettes, will experiment with cigarettes. I'm sure if you look at the same exact kids, you'd find that actually they've also probably used alcohol and marijuana. Yeah. And it's trying to control, uh, it's trying to control for for that for that behaviour, that risk propensity that is incredibly difficult to do. And so, uh, almost always, what what we're looking at is um, kids who are, have a predisposition to experiment in risky behaviors or adult behaviors and so on. Uh, so we're not, we don't see a massive gateway from vaping to smoking. Uh, and it, it, it's true that the number of kids who have tried vaping uh, has increased in, in the last uh, year or so, mainly because uh, probably because of Juul's entry into the market, which is Juul's uh, very easy to use and so on, and uh, it's relatively affordable. Uh, so that has become uh, um, a bit of a trend. But again, going back to flavors, there were thousands of e-cigarette flavors on the market before Juul entered the market, and youth vaping um, yeah. had actually been falling or was stable. So clearly the availability, just the pure availability of flavors themselves is not a causative factor in um, young people's decision to experiment with e-cigarettes. But yeah, it's unfortunate that um, the myth of a sort of e-cigarette to smoking gateway is still, <laughs> is, uh, is still peddled with, with such confidence. I mean, even as every year we see declines in teenage smoking. Yep. No, it's I've come to realize that it's ever since electronic cigarettes have come to market, the first argument was, they're not any. They're not safer for you than you know combustible cigarettes. Then the next argument was, oh, they don't help you quit. And then now it's now it's this youth, you know, quote unquote um, epidemic. Uh, and I hate using that term. I think that there are other epidemics going on in this country, and I think that that kind of uh, lessens the, the you know the stuff that needs to be addressed with the the real epidemics. That's my hashtag on Twitter when I want to kind of go after. The big players at FDA and the Surgeon General. So, um, mm. you do okay. So we 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 do admit youth should not be vaping. Um, what are some of the policy solutions to address this, though? Um, besides, you know, a flavor ban. Well, definitely, a lot of manufacturers have um, taken it upon themselves to um, police youth use. I know, for for instance. Um, even before FDA's announcement a few months ago on trying to pull flavors out of uh, convenience stores, um, Juul, for instance, had an incredibly strict 
age verification system online um, where you had to provide solid identification and so on to um, to buy anything on their website. Um, In fact, uh, I had a story. I tried to buy a jewel online um, uh, many months ago, I think towards the early part of last year. And I actually couldn't do it because I was using my British passport, which was not a valid form of ID because Jewel wasn't being sold in the UK yet. And I'm 28 years old and I couldn't buy a Jewel online. That's how strict the age verification system was. So it's totally untrue as um, uh, since Durbin claimed that, you know, it's as easy to get a Jewel as, you know, just clicking a button. That's not true at all. So I think solid um, for the online market, those kind of solid, strict age verifications um, are absolutely, absolutely necessary. They should, uh, they should be required. Um, just as you see, say, you know, a lot of youth can't buy alcohol online from, from a, lot, a lot of alcohol vendors and so on. Um, no problem with that whatsoever. But also, um, FDA needs to play its part in tackling stores that are selling to kids. I mean, the inspection rates, I believe there was um, uh, a report on this that came out a few months ago um, showing that uh, the number of inspections of either C-stores or vape stores um, selling these products to kids was absolutely minuscule and uh, far lower than it was for trying to look at, um, trying to examine stores that were selling uh, regular tobacco products to kids. So FDA already has enforcement power in this area. And just because FDA has been asleep at the wheel here um, doesn't mean you start hammering the entire industry and then the industry's customers, which is essentially what they're doing. So definitely stricter regulations and verifications about online sale. I I don't think anybody has a problem with that. But FDA needs to play its role in actually enforcing laws that are already on the books. And just because they have been so so um, uh, bad at enforcing those laws doesn't require a draconian approach that limits access to the most popular um, tools for quitting smoking um, uh, in the country at the moment. I mean, it's the the policy priorities are exactly backwards um, on FDA's on FDA's part. The industry absolutely does have to play a role in uh, making sure that its products aren't falling into the wrong hands. And the, the press is particularly deluded on this point, thinking that, oh, uh, you know, e-cigarette manufacturers and so on are, are going after youth and uh, primarily appealing to youth, and that's what they're trying to do. This, it, that approach, it wouldn't just be unethical. It would be a terrible business strategy if you modeled your business on explicitly essentially going against the law and risking your entire product category essentially being decimated by regulation. This, that is not a good business strategy. Nope. And also, there, there are, as you say, there are more than 30 million smokers in America in a market worth hundreds of billions of dollars a year. There is, <laughs> there is plenty of profit opportunity in, in targeting adult smokers and trying to get them to switch away from cigarettes. The industry doesn't need to appeal to kids and so on yeah. who can, you know, barely scrape up the pocket money to, you know, <laughs> buy these products in the first place and and buy pods on a regular basis. The profit margins for the vaping industry are not in 16-year-olds buying, you know, e-liquid. Yeah. That's not where, where the where the big money is. Yeah, no, I think that's a very valid point. Now, what are, I know I was discussed with the board that I'm on, and we have, what about... Would it be sensible to treat, I guess, a minor in possession the way you would treat of a, a, a jewel or an electronic cigarette and vaping device? Would it be would it make sense to treat them the same way that you would treat a minor in possession of alcohol? I mean, I, I was looking up some of those state laws on that. I mean, there's some states that will actually revoke your license. I mean, that would be. I think that would deter a kid from jeweling if he knew he couldn't drive his car. Yeah, that's a that, that's an interesting point. I'm I'm always hesitant uh, on um, contemplating new laws yes, that um, may may increase um, uh, a sort of criminalization aspect uh, amongst amongst youth. But um, small penalties and so on, you know, 
I'd, to be honest, I'd, I'd really have to look at it further. I wouldn't want to give an, yeah. an, an, an immediate answer to that because I think both you and I and everyone else in this space are really concerned to get use to use down as quickly as humanly possible yes. because then if use use uh, goes down, and let's not forget, use use is still a small minority of the population. It's, it's 20% of high schoolers who... Um, have used an e-cigarette in the last 30 days and that can be as much as a single puff the the number the percentage of kids who are vaping on a regular basis is about i think it's somewhere something like 5.8 percent so you know that's still far too high obviously but it shouldn't be blown out of proportion and exactly as you say the gross misuse of the of the term epidemic is, is is really frustrating in this context so it is in everyone's interest to get use to, use, to use down as quickly as possible because then it um, makes things much easier to have these products widely available in all different types of flavors and at lower prices for adults. And, and then the industry is coming you know, from the standpoint, um, which is its actual standpoint, which is that we are here to help adults stop smoking. We're not interested in marketing these, kids, um, uh, these products to kids at all. So in terms of penalties for use, I'd, I'd have to look at it more, to be honest. I couldn't give a, a okay. straight answer off the bat. I'm instinctively hesitant about it, yeah. but uh, I, I'd, I'd, keep, I'd keep an open mind. Yes. I, I, I mean, I work for Heartland. We, you know, we, we, we oppose more regulations, actually. So, But it is a question. I think that there's seriously, it's going to, I mean, you're going to see it in the states this year, and you're going to see at the federal level that this, you know, adults are going to be restricted access to these products because of youth using it. Mm. Um, so, may, like, any yeah. deterrent would be possible um, that, that could get it down now. Um, what advice do you have for policymakers in states like, California, uh, 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 New Mexico, New Jersey, New York, and, um, and vapors and concerned people in those states, especially as they, um, they move through their uh, flavor ban legislation this year? Mm. Well, um, well, firstly, don't do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it would be the, 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 the simplest and straightforward and, uh, as it happens, correct answer. Um, but I would say if, if lawmakers are, are concerned about this they're concerned about e-cigarette flavors and so on and they're drawing up tobacco legislation i would say just as a starting point just as a starting point not as an end point do not bracket e-cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction products in the same category as cigarettes that is just a really gross mistake tobacco products need to be regulated and taxed according um, to their risk, according to the amount of harm they may do the user, uh, and 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 um, and in, indeed non non users. So I would, I would just use that as a baseline. Uh, when a, when you're considering tobacco product regulation, products have to be treated differently. It is it is really really unfair that e-cigarettes could, um, should be treated or thought of as the same as regular cigarettes. They're two completely different things with two completely different purposes. So I think I just use that as the baseline. So then we have then we can go on to a more rational discussion about okay, if you want to regulate e-cigarettes or flavors or anything else, let's have that discussion. But let's have that discussion on its own terms not bracketed with cigarettes because if somebody wants to say if you have a uh, a flavor ban bill and uh, a legislator isn't is say supportive of banning menthol cigarettes say or flavored um cigars flavored little cigars but is not against um banning the most popular um category of e-cigarettes um how should how should how should they think about this kind of legislation should they support it should they oppose it so um, I think that's the key just to get rid of this confusion from the get-go is to really key, clearly delineate between traditional tobacco products and tobacco harm reduction products. And then we can go on to have a much more productive discussion about how we think about taxing and regulating both of these kinds of products on their own terms. Awesome. All right. Well, do you have any last words? Um, I, would, I would just say to you know anybody who's you know interested in these topics, whether you know they're 
an association or just a, a, a regular person who's interested in this, if anything is happen, happening in your state, the best thing to do is just make, your, make yourself heard. Legislators, they, they will, will listen if lots of people get in contact and say that they are worried and that they're angry about a certain piece of legislation going through. If nobody, if they hear from nobody apart from you know, you and me and, you know, um, other think tanks and uh, um, trade associations and so on, um, they'll t- take that into consideration, of course. But what really helps is having that sort of grassroots movement of just ordinary consumers who say, you know, my life has changed because of these products. I was a smoker for X many years. And th- these these types of products and these flavors help me give up. You know, the, these people do exist. There are millions of them. And the more legislators can be aware of that, they can put faces and names onto the sort of larger scale data that we've been talking about. That really does help. So I just say get involved, write to people, call people. Um, There are wonderful organizations like uh, CASAR, um, uh, which is uh, very informative on these issues with lots of updates about what's happening in people's states and how you can uh, get involved and they'll you know, talk you through it and make it very easy to co- uh, contact your legislator and so on. So that's what I would say. Um, just get involved. People do really pay attention. So it's uh, it's not always a lost cause. No, that's fantastic. I always tell them to harass them. I used to be a former staffer. They're working on your tax dollars. You call them every single day if you have to. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, Guy, thanks for joining a- a- another episode. I'm sure we'll probably have to catch up again and do a legislative update once things kind of calm down. Um uh, listeners, thanks for listening in to another episode of Voices of Vapors. Um, for more uh, information on Guy's research, um, go to uh, reason.org. For more episodes of Voices of Vapors, um, you can, uh, please visit heartland.org. Um, and yeah, that should be it.